The reading um, this evening is from the book of Ephesians, um, and it's from chapter 4, starting at verse 1 to verse 16. So that's on page 1175 in the Church Bibles. So that's Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely gentle, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Um, Grab holes of the Bible again and turn back to that reading from Ephesians uh, chapter 4. I don't know if you know the the author Kate Fox, she, she wrote a book called Watching the English. And I guess to have a book like that, you realise what, what she's doing. There's certain, certain traits that British people have. Let me expand it out beyond just the English to, to British people. We have certain traits. We cue better than anyone else, don't we? I think we can be proud of that. And we know a good cup of tea can solve most problems in the world. You know that? What problems are going on? Shall we just have a cup of tea? Let's put the kettle on. That will solve most problems. And we're uncomfortable as well with self-promotion. Uh, in a very kind of obvious way, uh, at least. So thinking about ourselves as we have been doing these past few weeks and then last year as well as, as God's gifted people is a bit uncomfortable. If I were to ask you, if you're British here, not everyone is, but those of you who are British, if I was to say, are you a gifted person? I think uh, Martine, who's here, who's wonderfully French, if I said, do you have gifts? She would just say, of course, and she would list them all for us in a, not a boastful way, just a very straightforward way. 
British people, if I was to say, are you a gifted person, you'd get fidgety. And you might mention something about needing to make a cup of tea just now because <laughs> you don't want to have that kind of conversation. But God's insistent. As you, as you read the Bible, he is insistent that we are gifted people. British or otherwise, if we're Christians in all sorts of ways. Gifted, remember, you, you might not remember, but way back last year when we began to think about this uh, topic, we said gifted to Jesus in the first place. That wonderful passage in John's Gospel that says that the Father has given us to Jesus as a gift that he might save us. We're a gift in that way. And that really, that's the kind of giftedness that makes us both humble and also deeply assured that God would gift us in this way to his son. All, all other ways, the, all sorts of other ways the Bible talks about is being gifted. We saw the other week, he, gifted even in suffering, that we might know and follow the Lord Jesus in that way. Gifted differently, all sorts of different gifts. Gifted with leaders. This evening, we'll think just a little bit in, in, in a broad way about growing our gifts. I, I don't know if you know this, a. a. Milne classic. Do you remember this one? Maybe you, you read it when you were younger. When I was one, I had just begun. When I was two, I was nearly new. When I was three, I was hardly me. When I was four, I was not much more. When I was five, I was just alive. But now I am six. And I'm as clever as clever. So I think I'll stay six forever and ever. It's wonderful, isn't it? It's a good age. Those of you can remember that far back, it's a good age to be six. And it's, a, it's nice to feel you've arrived in life as clever as clever. And there's a sense, look, if, if you're a Christian, uh, there's a sense, if you are a Christian, you have arrived. Trusting Jesus, you're in God's family. Uh, and if that's true, it'll be true forever and ever. Uh, a bit like the end of that. But growing doesn't stop at six. And none of us are as clever as clever. And so we're, we're into this part of the Bible tonight so that you've got in front of you. And Paul's writing to churches who are a, a real mix of people. A bit like our church. A bit like uh, any church, really. A mix of people. Uh, those who are southern. Uh, those who are northern. Uh, the quality people from the north. That, that's it. I was just thinking as Peter was talking, um, a, a minister who's almost 100 years old, nobody could ever think that about me. And isn't it wonderful you've got such a youthful, <laughs> a youthful minister, so, so young, nowhere near that kind of age. But uh, church, a real mix of people, those from the north, those from the south, different tastes in music. Show me any church where everybody likes the same kind of music. We, we'll have different opinions about politics here. Uh, different gifts and talents from admin to art. I, mean, I just find it bizarre. There's, I know several people in our church family who love Microsoft Excel. I mean, love it. They talk about it like it's the most wonderful thing. Oh, I love a good spreadsheet. Uh, strange, isn't it? Uh, with all those different mixtures of gifts and interests and things we love, and yet for all that, Paul says we're meant to be growing together. 
Uh, verse 4, in this chapter we've had, he describes the church as a body. We thought about that last week as well. Verse 12, he says the body is to be built up. In verse 15, he says it's to grow up. So you, you get that sense of growing. And growing can be disconcerting. Uh, and you can think, you, you know that, you've had that experience just as you've grown up at different times. Is what's happening to me normal? The way I'm growing, is this what it's meant to feel like? It can be disconcerting growing. The, the feelings you've got, the way your body changes, the muscles. Uh, I remember hairs beginning to come out in my legs and thinking, this is a bit weird, this kind of stuff that happens. And God wants his family to know what growing normally or usually it looks like it's why Paul's writing in this bit. So here's the first kind of thing. Understand, I think this is what he's saying, understand what we're growing into. Here's how you're meant to be growing. Understand what you're growing into. Verse 3, just have a look at it. Paul, Paul writes this, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. As we grow our gifts normally as a church family, in a healthy way, Paul's saying our church family should grow more united. That's what growing normally looks like. We'll, as we grow in our gifts, we'll grow more united with one another. And helpful to, to say what genuine unity is and a couple of things it isn't. So when it comes to unity, look, we don't mean... We don't mean we just kind of like the same things. Uh, like we're, we're not just here because we all like the same kind of music or we like doing the same kind of things on a Sunday evening. That, that's not what we mean by unity. We don't, neither do we mean by Christian unity. We just reduce what we believe till we all agree. That, that's not the kind of unity we're, we're about here. Let's, let's just get the lowest common denominator that we can all agree around. No, it's, it's really more like this. No. Christian unity is about, we're beginning to understand the gospel, this good news message about Jesus. And it worked out in daily life. And together, even with all our different gifts, we're understanding this is what we're about. This good news message about Jesus that we share. And with that wanting to understand unity, Paul, Paul explains, look, if, if we want genuine unity, there's, there's a number that's really good to remember. We're good at numbers, aren't we? So 03101970, I'll never forget that number. That's my date of birth. If you hear it there, you can work out how old I am. And even better, you can know when my birthday is. You send me a card. Uh, there's one number I can remember. Uh, 1314, that's another number. 1314, do you know what that is? Elspeth, do you know what that number is? 1314, you should know. 1314, Battle of Bannockburn. The last time... Well done, Elspeth. The last time Scotland had a significant victory on home soil. Um, there we go, Battle of Bannockburn. Proud Edward's army came up, and we sent them homeward to think again. Uh, there we go, 1314. I remember that. We're good at numbers, aren't we? There's certain numbers that we just remember for a long time. We can do numbers. And so God's given an important truth and linked it to a number. See if you can spot it. It's there in verse 4. Let me just read it out. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. It's really subtle, isn't it? Did you spot the number? 
He, he kind of hides it away. You've really got to look carefully before you see it. That's this number one. Three of the ones refer to God. One, God the Father. One, Lord, meaning the Lord Jesus. One, Spirit, the Holy Spirit. This one God who is Trinity. Four of the ones refer to us. One body, the church. One hope, our future in a restored creation. One faith, not many versions of it, just one. And one baptism. And you begin, as you put those things together, you, you see where Paul is going. He, he's saying something like this. Look, what, what our church family is flows out of who God is. What the church is flows out of who God is. There, there's one body, the church, because there's one spirit, the, the Holy Spirit. He gives life to the church. So there's unity together because it, it comes from God. There's, there's one faith to believe in, one hope for the future because there's, there's one Lord Jesus who, who saves everyone who trusts him. There's ultimately only one family of Christians. That's the alls in this passage because there's one God who's the father of those who trust Jesus. The church derives its existence from God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You can no more split up the church than you can split up God. The church is a unity. Everyone who, who trusts Jesus is united with him and to each other. Now, that's the way it works. And you might think, well, look, look hang on. In everyday life, it does look a bit disunited at times, which is why Paul says here, look, we're to work hard at living out that gospel unity. This is what it really is. And he introduces a dose of realism. We live in a world that's fallen. We struggle in all sorts of ways. And he says we're to work hard at living out that gospel unity. But I, I think this means, look, if we want to know if we as gifted people are growing normally, here's a good place to start. Look, before you just think about your gifts and how you're, you're using them and ways you can maybe enhance those skills, we, we need to remember this number one. Ask yourselves, is that how we're growing? How are you expressing this unity? And notice the way Paul talks about it here. He says, Paul says, Keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And that word peace in Ephesians, it's a kind of loaded word. If you want to flick back to, to chapter 2 just for a moment, chapter 2 and verses 13 and 14, if you can find that. Um, chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. Uh, Paul uses the word peace in here. And he puts it like this. Let me pick it up partway through verse 13 where he says, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away, he's talking particularly about Gentiles who've become Christians now, you, you who were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. He's talking about the cross of the Lord Jesus. And then he goes on at the beginning of the next sentence, for he himself is our peace. What's the kind of peace we're to display to one another? Well, it's like Jesus. 
who with his gifted life, if you like, the Lord Jesus had a, a gifted life. What did he do with it? He laid it down to benefit people who didn't really deserve it, to make them friends, make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, living in this way, knowing the Lord Jesus, the way he's loved you and given his gifted life for you. And here's you, he's given you gifts, what you meant to do with the kind of gifted life you've got laid down for others, who at times you look at them and you think they don't deserve it. They were mean to me last week. Or occasionally they say some things that are a bit odd. Well, well, here's what Paul says. It is hard, isn't it? But this unity we've got, you with your gifted life, lay it down for others, maintaining the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And I don't know about you, when, when I think about growing our gifts, that, that's the kind of people we're, to be, we're meant to be growing into. When I think of if I'm growing like that, I really don't yet feel as clever as clever. Do you? I don't feel quite as clever as clever if that's the way I'm meant to be growing. So, so what should we do? Here's the Lord who loves us. He looks at us, he sees you, he knew, he knew you were coming tonight, and he says, this is the kind of growing I want you to do. And as he speaks to you about it, and it, it looks wonderful, and you think, Lord Jesus, how, how do I grow like this? How can I possibly grow into the kind of person that would use the gifts you've given in the way that you use all your gifts, laying them down for others. Well, here's the second thing. Look, grasp the way Jesus will grow you. Isn't it, isn't it wonderful? The, the gospel, the, the good news message in the Bible, it's, it's not just God says to us, just pull your socks up. Try a bit harder. You're not doing well enough. No, he speaks to you about stuff and says, look, here's the way I will grow you. And grasp the way Jesus says he wants to grow you. How teachable are you? As we come to think about these in these verses 7 to 16. And let me, why that's important, this question about being teachable, it has to do with the kind of unity the gospel brings. You see, there's a sense in which we're all the same. We thought about this last week, didn't we? We're all one. But God's kind of unity doesn't lead to uniformity. You've probably heard about this before, heard somebody mention it. God's more flamboyant than people. You know this thing, we freeze water and what do we make? You know, we make ice cubes. God freezes water. He makes snowflakes. He's just a bit more flamboyant, isn't he? Now that's as clever as clever. We manage to make ice cubes. God makes uh, snowflakes it is like that. But, you see what Paul says, that the church that God has brought you into, he says, in a sense, look, you're all the same and you're all different. Is it verse seven? But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And by way of explanation, he quotes Psalm 68 from the Old Testament. The psalm pictures God being victorious in battle. Has this picture in the psalm of of this victory that God wins. And a victorious king would, would gather the spoils of victory. And as he did that, he would share them out with his people. Verse 8, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to his people. And Paul's saying, look, what is the big battle that God fought from which he ascended to a position of giving out gifts? 
And Paul rightly understands this psalm, this Old Testament psalm, it foreshadows God's victory in Jesus. He's risen up victorious and he pours out the gift of the Holy Spirit, gifted with the Spirit and gifted by the Spirit. And who gets a gift? Do you notice that in verse 7? Who gets one of these gifts? But to each one of us, grace has been given. And it's what we keep seeing time after time. Some of you might still think, I've not really got any gifts. I've thought for a while, David. I've been here the past few weeks. You keep mentioning gifts, and I've thought really hard. I can't think of any gifts. And let me say again, not true. Not true. He gives gifts to all these people. And he keeps saying to you, how are you using them? How are you going to use them? There might be others who are thinking, I'm loaded with gifts. I've got loads of gifts. You ask me, uh, and I've got stacks of them. I remember interviewing someone once. You know that in interviews when they, they do strengths and weaknesses, they always kind of ask that, well, you know, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? And I remember interviewing one young man once and asked for his strengths, and he listed about 10 straight off. Um, and I, I thought, wow, wow, that's confident. I said, any weaknesses? And he thought for ages. He just sat there going... Ooh, ooh, I was like really struggling and eventually said, perhaps I'm a bit full of myself. And I, I thought, well, that's, that's maybe, a, maybe a good answer, but maybe that's a little chink of self-reflection there. But th- there might be those amongst us who think, oh, you know, I'm loaded with gifts. Well, remember their gifts. You don't boast about a gift as if it came from you. No, enjoy it. Really do enjoy it. If you're... If you're good at something, gifted in a certain way, enjoy it. It's a, it's a delight to enjoy gifts. But if you want to boast, boast about the one who's given it to you. I really enjoy the way God seems to have wired me up. I enjoy doing these kind of things. Isn't it wonderful? Boast about the one who's given it and use it in a way that shows you're grateful. And there might be some who even think, if this is my gift, I don't like it. I'd rather have a different one and you don't value it. We say sometimes, don't we? You've heard this kind of thing. We say sometimes, it's not the price that matters with gifts, it's the thought that counts. You know that kind of thing? Maybe you've said it. uh, Or somebody says something uh, like that to you. I've got you this. It it didn't cost very much. And you think, "It's, it's not the price that matters, it's the thought that counts. Not with these gifts. You do understand that. Not with these gifts. You never just say that. Yes, the thought counts. The thought really does count, but the price matters. Because your gifts cost Jesus a lot. And friends, if you've, you've never thought about it this way, you could think like this. You could say he even bankrupted heaven in order to buy them for you. He spent all he had on them, even the last drop of his blood for these gifts that you enjoy. This is what the Savior's like took out his wallet, his heavenly wallet, and spent everything. Gave himself for you. The thought counts. Uh, But dear ones, 
beloved of the Lord, that the price, the price really matters. Don't ever think you've got a worthless gift. And don't ever think the little gift someone else has is without value. It really isn't. The Lord Jesus spent all he had on it. If you're here tonight and you think, I don't think I'm very good at this, understand the darling of heaven, the one beloved of the Father, because he loves you, spent all he had so he could purchase it for you and give it to you. He wants you to have it and wants you to use it. And look, the other thing about them, these gifts, is look, they're, they're not generally for private use. Do you notice that, verse 16? For him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does his work. Jesus gives different gifts to all Christians. Why? For all Christians. And when we think about our status as, as Christians, when you think about status, oh yeah, there we go. That was the little diagram there. There's Jesus. Gifts to all Christians. What are they for? For all Christians. And just pushing that on, when we think about our status as Christians and our roles and gifts, we're not to get confused. We sometimes equate, don't we, if you pop the next slide up, we sometimes equate kind of gifts and roles with status. So, you know, a kind of a sharp mind, perhaps. You're articulate. You've got strong intellectual gifts. That's higher status. It's worth more. But if you're a quiet encourager, not in an upfront way, you're just chatting with people perhaps, or encouraging the five to sevens in a Sunday club, and you could think less status. But that's not how things work in the church. That's not how things work in God's family. No, no roles and gifts, they do not equal status. They really don't equal your status. So what's your status in the church family if you're a Christian? Well, your status is much-loved family member. That's what your status is. Before you've done anything, the Lord Jesus loved you, brought you into his family, he's adopted you. That's your status. And you think, well, well if that's my status, then what, what, am I, what am I gifts for? If I've got some gifts, what, what do they give me? Well, here's what they give you, and it gives you a lot. They give you an opportunity to love and serve the family. Honor God here and outside. That, that's what your gifts are for. So you, you think about how God's gifted you. And you pray for ways to use those gifts. Sometimes in, in church life, your, your gifts will kind of neatly match a, a role that needs doing. But what if? What if a role needs doing and we're short of those gifts? Well, what do we do then? Oh, gosh. We need someone to help with the Sunday club, but we don't have people who are really very gifted with, with children and, and young people. Uh, what, what do we do then? When that happens, it's brilliant when someone says, it's not my gift, uh, but I'll pitch in. That's what we do. I'll help the family till somebody more gifted arrives, and that might set me to pray for them really, really well. If I'm ever involved in singing at the front of church because I've needed to pitch in in that way, pray really hard. Um, it wouldn't help grow the church. But 
it might help you to do that. Look, look, we'll pray for, for people who are more gifted and for God to raise up gifts. And at that point, I'll happily back out. Yeah, but that's, that's what we're to do. But why does that mean you need to be teachable? Well, because Paul says, look, while Jesus gives different gifts to all Christians, for all Christians, he also gives particular gifts to some Christians, for all Christians. And we started on this last week, didn't we? Paul mentions it in this letter as well. Verse 11, he talks about the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastor teachers. Who are they? The apostles and the prophets, I think Paul's talking about the Old Testament prophets and the apostles. I don't think there are apostles and prophets like this today. I think those kind of roles have come to an end in the way Paul's talking about them here. If you want, ask me about that later. Evangelists and pastor teachers, why does Paul mention them? It's because they have a specific role in teaching God's family. The apostles and prophets, they received and passed on God's words. The evangelists tell that message to people who are becoming Christians. The pastor teachers, they look after people who've become Christians. And I think the picture we've been given is this. Jesus rescues this great big group of people for himself. Then he throws out all these gifts on them, artistic gifts, gifts in leadership, administration, handling money, working with children, showing mercy, hospitality, good at engineering, good at computers, business, management. How will we know how to use all these kind of gifts for God's glory? How can I learn to use my gift in line with the gospel? Well, Jesus has provided people who can teach God's word. They may be rubbish at singing, but they can help you just think through a bit more about what the gospel says about singing, they they may not have quite the same love for the poor that you have, but they can help you think through what the Bible says about how to love others. They might not have the same intellectual capacity that you have, but they can help you think what the Bible says about using a powerful gift like that with humility. That's what they're for. These teaching gifts are to, you see, verse 12 to equip God's people for works of service. Verse 14, so we're not going to be taken in by every wind of teaching. He's saying false teaching that's going to go around. They're they're to help me not to be taken in by that. Verse 15, so we'll speak and act in a loving way and grow up mature in Christ. Being teachable is meant to lead us, meant to lead to us growing and serving and loving others like Jesus. So how have you been doing? Have you been growing up? Or have you been falling back? I think it was the American writer, uh, P.G. O'Rourke, who died last year, who said something like this, everyone wants to save the world, but nobody wants to help mum do the dishes. You know that kind of feeling? I have all these big ideas, When it comes to just little acts of service, I find I'm slightly absent from that. And here we are in a church family. How have you been growing? You're growing up, falling back. Grasp, look, if we want to grow normally as a church family, grasp the way Jesus says he'll he'll grow is make sure you you find a way to, to serve others with your gifts. And allowing yourself to have 
the use of your gifts shaped by God's word through the word ministry here. Remembering this is how Jesus helps us grow our gifts. So as you think about your gifts, it's good to be thinking this way. Not just what's my gift, but where can I help? And it's not just super spiritual, but super ordinary things. Not just what I do or say, but how I do it. And not just on my own, uh, but eager to learn. Uh, Let's not stay six forever. Uh, We're going to pause there. Uh, Lewis is going to come back up in a moment as as we move on in our service. But just have a bit of time, and maybe it would be good just to think. Maybe you've thought about your gifts. Maybe you know them really well. Good to think, have I been growing in them? And in this way, do I feel like I'm becoming united more in my church family? And have I been finding ways to, to serve others? And if you, if you would and if you want to, maybe you could just pray before Lewis comes back up. Lord, if there's, if there's a way I could grow some more, if there's a way I could serve in some other way, would you draw my attention to it and help me to, to follow your leads in that way? Let's not bow our heads and we can just pray for a moment and then Lewis will lead us on.